Harry Canary here with three questions you're going to answer yes to. Do you like beer? Do you like drinking lots of beer? Here you go, Pawtucket Patriot Ale, the best quahog has to offer. Would you like to drink lots of beer with your friends here at the Birdcage on a glorious autumn afternoon? Mmm, beer. Come on out to the Sioux Falls Canaries second annual Beer Fest at the Birdcage, Saturday, October 9th from 1 to 4 p.m. We'll have over a dozen local and regional beer vendors. $40 will get you 25 drink tickets. Plus, we'll be playing beanbags. In fact, we'll have a beanbag tournament. $20 gets you into that. I am the great Cornholio. <laughs> Just to review, beer, beanbags, birdcage, Saturday, October 9th from 1 to 4. More info at sfcanaries.com. Go birds! For the Indians, one run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got, one goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. Oh man, do we have a feast for you today? What is it there to talk about? Vikings, I'm sure they're fans enjoying the roller coaster ride. Now thinking, happy days are here again. Kirk Cousins has turned the corner, and then uh, come on, that's the tree. The forest is the Packers are going to win this division the way they looked against the Niners last night. I don't feel too bad saying that, but man, Matt Zimmer, we have uh, we have Vikings and Packers, and there's a lot to chew on from yesterday there. But then there's your big Augie hockey story, which leads us to wonder what exactly is happening in the, for the future of Augie Athletics and their Division I move, if ever, Summit League move, if ever, uh, and two teams in the Summit League and the Bow Valley Conference, South Dakota State. Only drama there was uh, the TV station thing not working out for the bulk of whatever mattered in that game the whole first quarter. Technical difficulties, not much there. And uh, not much this week with Dixie State, but the Yotes. There's a lot to discuss with the Yotes in that game. That wild night on Saturday in Springfield and getting screwed and where the Yotes are really at uh, competitively. And same thing for the Huskers, that, for that matter. They had a Saturday night game. And then there's the Gophers, and you got to go to the Golden Gopher game on Saturday. Uh, and uh, one of the worst losses in Gopher history. And there have been a lot of bad losses. It had to be. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I want to ask about both being there and what you, what you thought of the football because I didn't get to see it. And, uh, by the way, I did not see the Chiefs or the Vikings yesterday at Gateway Lounge, but the Cowboys are here tonight. And uh, my husband, Gilbert's a Cowboy fan. We've, we've been here already two weeks in a row for a Chiefs game, then a Vikings game. Got to do the Cowboy thing. I'm sure... Against the Eagles and the Britain Bomber. Yeah, there. that's right. You did a little tweet about uh, the Britain Bomber getting on a plane. Why'd you tweet about the Britain oh, Bomber getting on a plane? They... I didn't. The Eagles did. I just retweeted it. <laughs> <laughs> he was getting on the plane. Yeah, how's he doing this year, by the way? Uh, he's Scatter. had a couple good games early on. He's the number one tight end now. You know, yeah. he's Zach Ertz is still there. You yeah. know, I thought they would have cut him or traded him or something. Um, but you know, Dallas is the guy, and uh, he's probably looking at uh, a major contract extension. I think the Eagles are going to lock him up, and he might nice. be the highest paid tight end in the NFL when Whoa. that happens. And uh, okay, you know, it's uh, things are working out okay. For Mr. Goddard, so yeah, this is he's so good. Good deal. We're doing this podcast, which is uh, available for people as early as drive time before this Vikings Eagles or Cowboys Eagles game. So we won't talk much further about. By it saying that, that, you just ensured that something's going to get screwed up and it's not going to get online by then. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Are you referring to track record of any sort? Yeah, I am. I am. <laughs> Come on out. We're to not the even game. recording this right yeah. now, are we? Yeah, uh, we, we are. No, it's, it's registering. I'm looking right at the all screen. Right, it right, looks. Right. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to do some post-editing, but what's new? Uh, we are at the Gateway Lounge, an awesome place to do this show, an awesome place for you to come and watch sports 
and eat great food at a neighborhood bar uh, that's huge, that has a zillion TVs, and on game day, NFL Sundays, and college football Saturdays for that matter, TVs all over the place. You can see every possible game that's important because Jackson, the manager, knows what the best games are. Uh, the sound's always going to be on sports when it's a big sporting event, especially an NFL Sunday, like NFL football You're the football only one tonight. who thinks that's a big deal. I, I, are, do, do you not even think that's a big deal? I couldn't give two shits. I want yeah. sound of games. I do. Then stay at home and watch it or go <laughs> I, to the game. Sometimes I do. Yeah. And if I'm going to go to a sports game bar, I'm going to go to Gateway because I know it'll have – it, it makes the atmosphere of watching sports at a sports bar to me I don't me, di- like just like when I can hear it, but I don't care. <laughs> okay. yeah. That's good to know. I appreciate that. The food is awesome. Got some fried pickles, and uh, Zim's getting ready for what you order this time? Just some the, fries. I'm just not that hungry. Fries. I ate a little bit. That's right. Okay. And, yeah, I'm saving the good stuff for uh, for tonight. Got a little salad going on. start picking at those fried pickles because I'm pretty sure they'll be gross once they get cold. I don't, I don't think so. They're, Gilbert and I had them a couple weeks ago when we came here for the Vikings game. Pretty I didn't, damn good yeah. for a while. Goes down good with the Oktoberfest they have here. All right, so the Vikings game went down very smooth for a lot of Vikings fans yesterday, especially those who love Kirk Cousins, Zim, and expectedly I got a couple. Which would be Dom Claire and nobody else as far no, as. No, there's, yeah. there's slings and arrows. Some guy named, I think it was Andy Jacobs, came at me on Twitter yesterday. He referred to a tweet from uh, two weeks ago. Uh, he made sure to wait and pounce on it once Kirk Cousins had one of his best games as a Viking yesterday. Uh, to uh, refer to a statement I had made that I still firmly stand by. Uh, look, he, he is he is in the MVP candidacy discussion, even though the Vikings are one and two. He's been great. Um, is he? Let's calm down. Uh, let's well, let's let's get well. We'll get into it. That's what we'll do. But a couple weeks ago, after uh, they lost to the Bengals, I said he's the ultimate stat padding QB of all time. He has his strengths: strong arm, accuracy, play action, and deep ball. He's also a goddamn robot with little ability to make a play under duress, which is essential in the modern NFL, where the defensive line and linebackers almost always beat the offensive line. Kirk Cousins twice yesterday had big moments in that game against Seattle. Under pressure, yeah. Where he actually made, and especially late in the game, you're trying to put the Seahawks to bed. The third and, down, yeah. And he got the shit blitzed out of him. And uh, he made a throw that most, not, not, not just not him, but most quarterbacks don't make. I mean, he, most quarterbacks take the sack. He threw a strike to somebody named, what was it, Osborne? I think it was K.J. Osborne, K.J. Yeah. Osborne for a first down and game, set, match. So, I mean, he's, he's looking terrific. It still doesn't change the fact, and I loved hearing the national perspective of this today, Zim, Dan Patrick show, where these guys, they're watching the big games, like the Bucks and the Rams. They're watching the Niners and the Packers. They're not watching the Vikings game. They said, Kirk Cousins is a bottom-of-the-screen ticker quarterback. It's like the Vikings aren't on national TV a lot, and when they aren't, which is usual, you'll see his stats at the bottom of the ticker like yesterday and go, Oh, wow. Kirk mm-hmm. Cousins lights mm-hmm. out again. That's what I used to do when he was on the Redskins. Like, yeah. wow, is Kirk yeah. Cousins good? And then, just like he had on 350 the, yards and four touchdowns today? And no. just like when he was in D.C., he gets in prime time against a really good team and a good defense, things start to wilt. So let's see what happens when that happens for the Vikings this year. But yesterday against a good team, a really bad defense, by the way. The CX have one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Their entire starting D-line was hurt. Yeah. Which okay. might have something to do with Cousins suddenly looking good in the pocket. Yeah, so you tell, so you tell me how much higher you are in Kirk Cousins after this game yesterday. Eh. I put French fry in my mouth right now. That's right. <laughs> how is it? How are the fries? Good as always. Good, okay. Um, I mean, I don't know that I've ever been super down on Cousins. I've just never... I think maybe the best way to put it is this is the year I finally like stopped getting my hopes up, you know? Like, I've been down on him, but also, like, hopeful. You know, like this you guy hasn't. Him. This guy hasn't been great. Overpaying him, but whatever. You have to overpay to get a decent quarterback, and they didn't have any other options really. And you know, kind of waiting for him to put it all together, and it just hasn't happened. You know, you get to the end of the season, and like you said, the numbers always look great: four thousand yards and thirty touchdown passes. You know, that's kind of the standard elite quarterback benchmark. You know, and he hits it every year. But the Vikings don't win anything because he doesn't do anything to elevate the rest of the team. Exactly. It seemed like yesterday maybe he elevated the team at times. And even the week before, uh, you know, the comeback against Arizona, which should have been completed if they just made the field goal. So, I don't know. I mean, it would be just like a Minnesota sports figure to wait until, you know, the end of a contract to finally start delivering and then you have to make another decision on the guy sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, and damned if you do, damned if you don't. 
Exactly. So I'm not getting my hopes up. I'm glad he's playing well. Yeah. Uh, I think the Vikings, all things considered, it's unfortunate for them, for their fans, that they're one and two because they could be three and zero. Oh. They don't deserve to be three and zero. Oh. No. Um, you know, I, as bad as they looked in the preseason, they've looked, I think, comparatively pretty good through three regular season games. Uh, but they're also one and two, so I don't know. Should, should be 2-1 and one because you missed a chip shot at the very right. end of a close game on the road against a decent team in Arizona. Uh, you got the Cleveland Browns coming. You know what Kirk Cousins did? Good point made by Judd Zolgat. I'll always give Judd credit. ScoreNorth.com. Uh, it would be a stretch to say he saved Mike Zimmer's, Zimmer's job yesterday, but he saved Mike Zimmer from being in the hot seat discussion uh, by really being the biggest reason why the Vikings won yesterday. They did not have Dalvin Cook. He made big throws at big times. And with the defense, Zimmer's defense, playing like utter shit the entire first half, he kept the Vikings, the offense kept the Vikings in the game, of which Zimmer has little to do with. And, um, you know, he, they, they controlled the ball. They had the ball, the offense did, for almost the entire second half. That wasn't great defense, right. pitching the shutout, and Mike Zimmer making incredible adjustments after the Seahawks and Russell Wilson torched him in the first half. That was the offense just staying on the field and making enough first downs. And, again, Kirk Cousins was making them. And they kicked a few field goals and put them to bed. But they're 0-3. They lose that game. If the, if the defense kept playing the way it was, if Kirk Cousins is as he usually is, maybe if Seattle has some of those defensive linemen mm-hmm. uh, that you mentioned, and they lose 0-3, then you got Kevin Stefanski, the former offensive coordinator, uh, longtime assistant, who a lot of Vikings fans would have loved to see be the next Vikings coach, yeah. coming in and with a good, really one of the best rosters in the NFL. And if you lose that game, you're 0-4. So anyway, it doesn't get Zimmer completely off the hook, but it gets him out of it. There, there would be a slight, like, where are things headed with Mike Zimmer discussion yeah. today, and Kirk Cousins bailed him out instead of the other way around. Yeah, I think you could say that. Um, and so I don't know how much more encouraged you can be by the defense. The offense, well, okay, I'll just stay on Cousins for a second. He's third in the NFL in QBR for what that's worth. Uh, that's it's the, worth more than, or, or is that total QBR? Or That'd be that'd be the ESPN, uh, you know, out of 100 stat where they try to factor in more things. So it's not just regular quarterback rating. It's, it's not regular passer rating. Okay, passer yeah. rating is the traditional one where right. you're solely going on how good of a passer you are. But he's fourth in that, too. QBR factors in. Right, but I'm saying QBR is the one that ma- that means more. It fa- yeah, he, never, well, he always has a good passer rating. Right. right. It factors in more. Not getting sacked, not turning it right. over, stuff right. like that. Uh, he's eighth in yards per game, uh, passing yards per game, right behind Patrick Mahomes at seven. Uh, Derek Carr is <laughs> tops in the NFL in that at over 400 a game. He's fourth, Kirk Cousins, uh, with eight touchdown passes, but he has no interceptions. Uh, three guys above him all have at one. The, the three guys ahead of him in touchdown passes all have at least a pick. And he's fourth in the NFL in completion percentage at 74%. So he is elite. Again, they have faced, for what this is worth, the Bengals, the Cardinals, and the Seahawks, not great defenses, and these are not primetime games, but you got to give him his due. But I think we can all give it a wait and see as well before guys like Andy Jacobs, or in your case, uh, Dom Claire, who's a friend of mine, uh, continue to beat the Cousins drum over and over again. Cleveland's a big test, albeit a noon game at home. Then they got the Lions, then they go to Carolina. It's like, what, when are we going to see Kirk Cousins really under the lights? <laughs> we got the Cowboys who's just a team that plays in primetime because they're worth the most money in the NFL. They're going to play a lot of primetime games. That's a Sunday, a Halloween night game at home, so he should win that. Uh, but they go to Baltimore and L.A. Baltimore's a noon game. L.A.'s a 305 game. So these are still not primetime games. He has to go to San Francisco in November. November's really going to when we're truly going to find out, is Kirk Cousins all of a sudden a primetime quarterback? You know, because that's the ever... That's the ever-growing question, and it still is, even though he lit up the Seahawks yesterday. I don't think that question will really be answered unless he actually, you know, takes the Vikings to a Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, he's taken, he's won a playoff game for him. He's put up the numbers. He's, to his credit, he's been very durable. You know, he hasn't missed any games. I mean, I don't suddenly, you know, acting like last year or yesterday was the first good game he's played as a Viking. That's not true at all. He's had lots of good games as sure. a Viking. He's just never been able to do it consistently, and like we said, really elevate the team in any sort of way and even if you know it looks like it, that, that's a that's an intangible to say he elevated the team there's nothing that's a kind of a matter of opinion whether or not he's doing that or not so we could sit here and say he yes he is elevating the team or no he's not elevating the team get him to the NFC championship game get him to a Super Bowl 
you know, and then we can say you elevated him, whether you actually did or not. You know, he's already taken him to an NFC divisional playoff win. Yeah. You know, and that didn't change anyone's opinion of him. Right. I thought it did at the time because, hey, nah. you, you, you make a huge throw in overtime in the dome, in the Superdome, and then, to th- you know, the bomb to Thielen, the, the touchdown strike to Rudolph, but it, it went back to the same narrative ever since then. But it, but the Kirkies, the, uh, the Cousins crazies, they come back at us with, well, but he's limited. He's got a terrible offensive line. Sure. Uh, Zimmer's defense has gotten worse. Sure. Uh, and... So they'll say well, there's not enough around him. That's a little unfair to ask him to be a Super Bowl quarterback. Well, that's the kind of money they paid him, right. and he was supposedly the missing piece to that puzzle. Brady right and Rodgers have always done it. Yeah. So, and but when Cousins crazies ask like, "What more do you want him to do?" He's putting and, and they'll go to the stats. They'll refer to the stats, and then they'll say uh, they'll refer to the weaknesses that he can't account for. The answer is yesterday. That's what you. That's what we want him to do. Is what he did yesterday under duress. Right making big plays when it get eight of ten on third downs i mean that's 80 yards eight of ten on third downs that's it by the way you were listening to the game on the radio driving back from the twin cities and again i cannot wait for matt zimmer's story about watching an utterly pitiful gopher football loss on saturday <laughs> but i but mark sanchez had some serious kirk gasms uh on the tv broadcast <laughs> yesterday did you hear this or see any of this on not. twitter um he said, uh, he, he mentioned how Kirk Cousins, after a big Kirk Cousins pass, graduate-level quarterback play. That was actually what Kevin Kugler, the play-by-play guy on Fox, said. Graduate-level quarterback play. Not untrue, first three weeks. Uh, but Mark Sanchez, he's, he's uh, so decisive, he may call pants trousers, and he may pull them up to his navel. But this guy is a stone-cold killer. <laughs> and at one point, he called him an executioner. Uh He's drinking the Cousins. Kool-Aid. I mean, he has been at times, you know, going back to when he was with Washington. You yeah. don't, for as much as we can talk about he pads his stats or empty yeah. stats or, you know, whatever, garbage time numbers, like you don't throw for well over 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns in a season entirely by accident or entirely in garbage time or, or whatever. I mean, he's obviously had moments uh, where he's made big plays. He's had big games. He's had, you know – I mean, like I said, those stats are what they are. Um, so that's what kind of bores me, and maybe you can tell I'm getting bored with this segment. Like, I mean, Kirk Cousins, you know, he kind of is what he is at this point, and, uh, you know, we can overreact to every individual game. You know, if he comes out next week and is 18 of 40 with an interception or two, you know, doesn't obviously if he throws like five picks in one game, that's disastrous. But those are, that doesn't usually happen. It's that game where he just – doesn't really do anything, you know, or the the numbers he puts up all come in the fourth quarter after they're down by 20 points. Those are the ones we've seen enough times to go, okay, sometimes he's this guy. Sometimes he's the guy we saw yesterday. That's why he was able to get the contract. That's why he's always putting up the 4,000-yard, 35 touchdown seasons. He's not terrible. He's never been terrible. And, that's, that's and I don't think anyone's ever really – I think people who, who maybe sound like they're saying Kirk Cousins are, is terrible, what they really mean is – He's terrible relative to the expectations, relative to the contract. Yep, kind of a Joe Maurer thing, you know. Yeah. Maurer has his huge year where he hits 360 with 30 homers, gets the multi-huge, you know, million-dollar contract, then goes back to being a singles yeah. hitter immediately after it. Well, he's still a damn good player. He wins a batting title, hits 330, but he only has eight home runs instead of 25, and everyone suddenly acts like he's terrible because you're paying him $25 million a year to hit 325 playing catcher. True. When baseball, I think it's been proven that you got to sign some guys to huge contracts to get the buzz going, to get fans, to sell tickets, to make money. But we always know that one batter and one player like Joe Maurer, even sometimes pitchers who are more impactful, can only mean so much to a baseball team. Quarterback in the NFL means just a lot more to your team and your success. So that's why we talk about him so much when he has superlative efforts like yesterday and the Cousins crazies come out. So that's why we addressed it. Having said that, Aaron Rodgers, of course, is one of the biggest lightning rods in the league, and uh, that was more like the Aaron Rodgers we have come to know and love as NFL fans and hate as Vikings fans uh, last night with the way he played most of the night, but especially those last 37 seconds against the Niners. Did you make it home for that? Did you see the end I of that? I watched almost the whole game. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> there's – there, there, go ahead. Well, they jump out 17 nothing, and it's like, oh, geez, I guess the Packers are good after all. Then the Niners come back. They score late to take the lead, and I'm happy about it. But I was like, 37 seconds is too much time. 
They're gonna they're gonna get a. F- I didn't so much think like they're gonna win. I was like they're gonna give Mason Crosby a chance. Like I knew Mason Crosby was gonna get a chance, and then he he made it. And I was not kind of similar to the week before when the Vikings missed their kick. It was just kind of like, eh, well, that's what happens. You know, yes. no surprise on my part. What happens when you pay for a kicker? Yeah, yeah. And Mason Crosby had the one year like. I know, was it six, seven years ago where he had an awful Terrible. year, missed everything, yeah. and Packers fans wanted them to cut him, and they stuck by him, and that decision paid off for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the NFL's a league. We keep saying this. Came down to a field goal for the Vikings last week. Came down to a 51-yarder last night. I mean, the games are so close. Everything mm-hmm. is parody-stricken. Yeah, it's funny how in, 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 co- in college football, a 13-point deficit feels like a close game, and in the NFL, a 13-point deficit almost feels like a blowout. You know, yeah. Vikings beat Seattle by 13. It's like, wow, they kind of took it to them. You yeah. know, that's just how much the margin for error. Yeah, like it's, yeah. But but going back, you know, we're spending 15 minutes on Cousins and where the Vikings are at with that win over Seattle yesterday. Um, it, this is why you make a bigger deal of what the Packers did in San Francisco than you do with what the Vikings did against Seattle. In San Francisco, last year was a wash. They had so many of their best players injured that it, it, it doesn't really matter how they performed. They're a Super Bowl quality team. They're they're as Super Bowl quality as they were when they almost won the Super Bowl two years ago. They've got studs at every position and excellent coaching. And you know Jimmy Garoppolo's that Kirk Cousins type, a quarterback who's you know he showed he can get you there. And you go on the road. You're the Packers. You have had a history last two years uh, and the last several years of Mike McCarthy, but the first two under Matt Lafleur. 13 win seasons, but then you go and you get punched in the mouth by the Niners in the mm-hmm. NFC Championship game two years ago, and in a lot of big games. The, the, the Kirk Cousins primetime thing for them is up front, physically, they get battered around, they can't win with a running game, blah, blah, blah. And then Aaron Rodgers is rendered kind of, you know, not useless, but, right. uh, you know, you get. That's the game plan to stop him. Yeah. But last night, I mean, you look at them, they've got, they've got pass rushing up the middle. They have got a corner uh, who can lock things down. They have an offensive line. They didn't even have Bektari, but he's supposedly the best left tackle in the NFL, and Aaron Rodgers was still protected well. They, had all, they have all the pieces to beat the Niners, and therefore you know, they almost beat the Bucks and made it to the Super Bowl last year. So we can get excited. You can get excited if you're a Vikings fan about one nice win and if they're going to be a playoff team this year. The Packers, to me, they feel like a Super Bowl team or a team that should be they're in the NFC title game again this year. They're going to win this division. They have by far the most pieces, and Aaron Rodgers is bu- still Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that's the safe bet. Um, you know, if you're if you're a glass half full kind of person, and I don't see how any Vikings fan ever could be at this point. <laughs> um, like I said, you could look at them and go, "Hey, they could be three and should be three and zero, whatever." Yeah. They've looked better, good. What I don't know. I mean, um, the Packers just look so bad in Week One, like. They laid such a stinker in that one. The Vikings haven't done that yet. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, but also, I, I liked the way Aaron Rodgers addressed that last night when he was talking to Michelle Tafoya. He was like, yeah, I get it. You know, we came out and were absolutely awful in that first game. But he's like, I tried telling everyone that that was just a bad game. It was. I think the word he used was anomaly. He just said, not, not trying to pretend it didn't happen, but just like, I, that's not who we are. We just came out and weren't ready to play or shit the bed, whatever, and, and like the last two weeks we've been the team that we expect to be, and I believe Aaron Rodgers when he says stuff like that. He tends to be a guy who doesn't blow smoke up your ass. Right. You know, he usually says what he actually thinks, and watching how he maneuvered that game on the field and then hearing him talk about it afterwards, I mean, he sounds pretty confident, and we have seen and heard Aaron Rodgers when he's not confident, yeah. you know, so... That being the case, uh, yeah, I would agree that the Packers are certainly the favorites. Uh, they have the one-game lead now. Um, we'll see. I mean, the, the Lions and Bears are not going to be a factor. So, you know, I think the question for the Vikings might end up being, can they play themselves into a wild-card situation, or, you know, will there only be one playoff team coming out of the North this year? Yeah. How confident are you in the Vikings against the Browns? That feels like a coin flip game to me. It's at home, right? Yeah. I mean, I always give the edge to the home team unless there's a big disparity. So I guess I like the Vikings' chances. I don't remember. They haven't played the Browns in forever, certainly not since they've been good. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the Stefanski angle. Oh, excuse me. I think the Browns are fun to watch. Uh, it's, it's fun to see a team like that that has been so bad for so long finally have some success, you know? So uh, I, I would probably, if I was betting, which I never do, I'd probably pick the Vikes. But 
The, the thing that the Vikings have going for them next week is hopefully you get carryover. By the way, Clint Kubiak calls as good of a game as he called yesterday. I mean, that took some, that took a little magic or at least a little competency as a, uh, a nepotism-hired yeah. <laughs> young coordinator. PA and Bursich were basically ready to anoint him as the next Bill Walsh wow. during the game yes. yesterday. So. Yep. And uh, so if he has as good of a game calling the game, mm-hmm. I mean, the Vikings prove they can win without Dalvin Cook. Again, they beat the Seahawks and they beat Russell Wilson, who's supposed to light you up, and, and did for the first half. Try to remember, Seahawks have a terrible defense, but for what that's worth, they were able to explode offensively and control the ball in the second half. Without Dalvin Cook, that's an encouraging sign for the Vikings. They could be a pretty good team this year. Um, you know what division is? The, 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 the NFC North is the Packers and a, a lot of nothing. Um, the, the, the fun one is the AFC West. The Kansas City Chiefs are in last place after three games. Don't overreact to that either. But uh, they lose to the Chargers, and boy, did Jim Nance and Tony Romo build up the next decade of Herbert versus Mahomes <laughs> and the NFL's next great rivalry. They so badly wanted the Chargers to win so they could declare that, and it happened. And the Chargers deserved to win that game, even though, like against the Cowboys, they tried to lose. But uh, I know you pro- you didn't see it because you were driving, but Chiefs wanted to. Two losses to the Ravens and the Chargers, two of the other best uh, teams in the AFC two of the other best quarterbacks in the NFL. I, as a Chiefs fan, I still kind of just go, and they do this. They almost lost to the Browns as well. They're just kind of fooling around. This is what they do. They fool around. They're so good offensively. They fool around. They try things. They've played with fire. It burned them the last two weeks. I'm not too worried. But if you look at that division, I'm, you know, it's kind of a joke. Yeah, they're in last place. But Broncos are 4-0. They've got a good enough defense. Um, to you know, mm-hmm. stay in the game with any of these guys and anybody they play, and then the Raiders and Chargers have quarterbacks, Derek mm-hmm. Carr and Justin Herbert. So, your thoughts? I, I don't think I would panic if I was the Chiefs, but they're not going to the Super Bowl this year. Ooh, okay. Um, just when was the last time a team made it to three Super Bowls in a row? Pretty sure it was when the Bills lost four years this in a row. This is what I love about sports discussions um, with you. You're you know, a law of averages guy. Uh, well, that's I like it's, it. it's not so much that. It's just the NFL is set up to be a league that doesn't allow dynasties. Yeah. You know, if, if you get too good, the rules are set up so that your roster will be pilloried and everyone else will take your better players or, or those guys that are you know waiting to get paid that helped you win a championship as rookies or in their first contracts or upcoming free agents, whatever. Um the Chiefs had their shot last year to make it back-to-back, which is hard enough to do in itself. Yeah. Uh, to get back for a third year in a row, I, think, I just think it's too much to ask. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if they were, you know, an 11-6 and six sort of team this year instead of the 15-2 and two type of thing they've been the last couple of years. Um, we'll see. I mean, Mahomes is obviously a, one of those rare players who can kind of do it all by himself. You know, they, they, they might well go into the playoffs at 10 and 7, and then he's good enough to just put him on his back and take him back to the Super Bowl anyway. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen because, like I said, I just think um, they're probably on their way towards trending downwards for a couple of years because it's just, like I said, it's just hard to keep those things going in the NFL. What I worry about is how much longer can they afford all the other guys that they have besides but, Mahomes. That's right. what any fan would worry about. Um, you know, it, it drained the Vikings a little bit to not have Cousins. Uh, it, it cost them some of their better defensive players who were aging anyway. Uh, but, you know, like Xavier Rhodes, which wasn't as good and wasn't worth the money, and they couldn't afford him. But, all right. I, so that's what I, I worry about. The, the window's still there. If they don't turn it over, that's it. I mean, it's just Mahomes is throwing interceptions. He doesn't usually throw. He's made so many amazing plays, he thinks he can make anyone. And every now and then, last two weeks, he's finally getting picked off. I mean, he you know, he had his first interception. Well, eventually the league yeah. was going to adjust, too. I yeah. mean, I don't care how special you are. Yeah. This is still the NFL. Yeah. You know, and Pat Mahomes is you know, a, a, a one-of-a-kind sort of quarterback who has revolutionized the position, you know. But Peyton Manning did that, too, in a much different way. He revolutionized it in a much more, you know, intellectual sort of way. But there was a time where it was like, oh, my God, you know, you can't stop Peyton Manning. You know, he's undefensible. It's like he's golfing out there, standing back in the pocket, you know, barely breaking a sweat. Well, eventually teams started to figure out, you know, you just have to come up with something different. And, you know, teams started uh, trying to sp- use a spy on him, which normally you only do on it with an athletic quarterback, you know. And then, they were, you know, there are all sorts of different things they tried, you know, as far as coverages. And, you know, defensive coordinators are smart. And they're going to figure out a way not necessarily to shut those guys down. In fact, definitely not to shut those guys down. I mean, how many bad games have Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady had in their entire career? 
even when they lose, they usually don't have a bad it game. Was, for they Peyton Manning, it was always against the Patriots in the playoffs. That was what kept Sure, them there were some yeah. of them. But I just yeah. mean, like, yeah. that's what makes football so much different than other sports. You know, like, even Michael Jordan had some games where he was 3 for 16 from the floor. You know, Mike Trout goes 0 for 4 with four strikeouts once in a while. Tom Brady just never does that. You know, <laughs> yeah. it just never happens. An alien. Um, but, like I said, I, I do think as great as Mahomes is, um, he was still, you know, he went to Texas Tech for crying out loud. Um, the, guy, the guy obviously isn't does isn't everything to every everyone. So um, it'll be interesting to see the rest of this year how he fares. You will maybe have a better idea of okay, is he just getting a little sloppy and taking more chances, or are defenses figuring him out a little bit and, and making adjustments that are working? That's probably a little bit remains to be seen. But I do think. Um, he's going to have to adjust to the league just like they've had to adjust to them. My, my last thought is he's making his mistakes pretty much on his, his turnovers and his interceptions on plays where he's just trying to make a superhuman play. If he, if he kind of dials that back just a little bit, mm-hmm. then I think he'll be fine. But I don't take, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't take what you said without a lot of uh, consideration for sure. Matt Zimmer, John Gaskins, nobody's listening anyway. Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls. Come on out. Check out the anytime, Saturdays and Sundays. Even Friday nights, they are playing high school football games uh, on the big screens here. We might have to slip that in if we have time about how good, I mean great, high school football is around here, at least at the highest level uh, that I get to see before we're done. Uh, but you, I won't hold it back any longer. You went and got to see Golden Gopher football <laughs> on Saturday, losing to Bowling Green. There have been a lot of Im- Im- incredible, awful losses in Gopher history. This might be right up there. Go- Bowling Green. It's either this or the Yotes. That's ma- what everyone was talking about yes. afterwards. I mean, yeah. Bowling Green is a MAC bottom feeder. They're not even a good MAC team. Right. Um, they had lost 10 games in a row against FBS opponents. Wow. My first question to you is why did you and Jen. Uh, you know, you make your getaway go? to the Twin Cities. <laughs> why? Well, why did you choose? I, I get the Vikings are a little more expensive. I don't know if price was a part of this. Why'd you go to the Gophers game instead of the Vikings game? We were going to go to both, but the Vikings played at three. We oh. only get home at midnight. It's a okay. four-hour drive. You know, if the Vikings played at noon, we would have gone. Um, we, but we still probably would have gone to the Gophers game. Go, k- tickets were cheap, man. We were six rows off the field for thirty bucks. You know, um, probably because it's Bowling Green. You know, um, we actually just. Uh, Got in the car and drove up there. We didn't have any plans, any tickets, any. We didn't have hotel reservations. Um, we just drove. And while we were in the car, Jen got a hotel, and uh, so we got into our hotel room and like, well, what do we want to do? It was Friday night. Twins play in a couple hours. Let's go. I was content to get you know ten dollars seats in the outfield. Jen was like, oh no, if I'm gonna go, we're gonna spend some money. So we got right behind home plate, right, right behind the Twins dugout, or no, Blue Jays dugout, third baseline, row three. Those were expensive, um, but we had great seats for that. And the Twins won, beat the Blue Jays, uh, had a great time there for that. Uh, you know, did some bar hopping afterwards, had a pretty good night. And then uh, because we stayed out so late on Friday and, and got hammered, um, at 11 o'clock kickoff on Saturday came pretty early. And I was actually waiting for Jen to just be like, yeah, I'm not going, screw this. I was I was fully expecting her to be like, you can go by yourself, I'm staying, staying in bed. But she... Toughed it out, got up, took a shower, and we had a little hair of the dog cocktail. And uh, but the thing was, like eleven o'clock kickoff, it was clear right away that we were not going to make it in time for kickoff. So I'm kind of trying to gently nudge her along, like, "Hey, you know, <laughs> game's starting pretty soon." In there, yeah, done that, yeah. And uh, we took the light rail to the stadium, which wasn't far away anyway. And we ended up getting getting to the stadium like right around eleven. By the time we, uh, you know, were in our seats. It was about six minutes into the first quarter, and the Gophers were up three to nothing. And I, even already at that point, I was like, oh, I kind of thought they'd be up 21 nothing already, you know? And so I was happy. I was like, oh, we didn't miss anything. And Jen was like, who is this team? Like, I was like, they're terrible. They're going to, you know, Gophers are going in by 40. And uh, obviously that didn't happen. And it just, it was one of those things where you kind of keep saying, well, when's, when's this, when is the favorite going to wake up? And uh, the Gophers had a fourth and one at their own 20. Uh, and decided to go for it, which the crowd was like, yeah, go for it. And then they called this horrible RPO call that they've called all game long, and it never worked. Like, Jen doesn't know anything about football, and she's looking over me going, why do they keep calling that play? It doesn't work. Every time they run it, they lose three yards. Yep, B.J. Fleck, baby. Yeah, and uh, so they call that on their fourth and one. They 
fourth and one at their own 20. They lost five yards on the play. At what like, point that's was how, this in the game, by the way? Uh, early second quarter. And the score was like still 3 nothing or? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because then, then Bowling Green immediately went down and scored a touchdown off that yeah. turnover run down. So they're up 7-3. to three. And I think the score was 7-3 to three at halftime. Yeah, because then everyone boos as the teams run off the field for halftime. But you're kind of thinking, okay, you know. Gophers are sleepwalking. They'll wake up in the second half. And sure enough, they get the ball for the second half, go right down the field and score, take a 10-7 lead. You're like, okay, this is probably where it's going to turn around. It did not. Um, Bowling Green couldn't really do anything on offense. I think they figured finished with 180 yards of offense. But they got the free touchdown when the Gophers went for it and didn't get it. And then Bowling Green did put together one drive late, which I believe there were like two personal foul penalties on the Gophers that extended the drive. Uh, and then the Gophers kept turning it over. They couldn't do anything on offense. I mean, they just looked – I was like, isn't this the team that gave Ohio State a good game that beat Colorado 30 to nothing on the road last week? I know Colorado isn't anything special, but you're talking about a Big 12 team on the road. They yeah. beat them 30 to nothing. And to, like you said, Bowling Green is a bad MAC team. They hadn't won an FBS game in – like lost 10 in a row. USD beat them, too. Yeah. USD, you know, like two or three years ago. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that, that, that was – At Bowling Green. Yeah. Um, this was – I don't want to insult Bowling Green. I mean, maybe they're a little bit better. and But I think I read that they had more freshmen and true freshmen on their roster than any team in the FBS. Wow. And the Gophers are a veteran team. They got a lot of upperclassmen. I mean, it was just <laughs> – the funny thing is I we went because, you know, Jen has not had much of a sports background in her life. I'm kind of trying to expose her. Like, hey, I know you don't like football, but you'll think this is fun. Outdoors, college football, Big Ten, the band, like the whole yeah. experience. And she was kind of like, all right, if you say so. And then she did have fun. She was like, this is she did. Okay. Yeah. She was like, you're well, right. This is great. I was going to say, because yeah. a gopher game where they still have a hard time drawing fans. I know they've it got this huge. Full. It was mostly full. I know they've uh-huh. got this huge brand with PJ now, but it's uh-huh. still 11 a.m. game. That's tough because they said yep. last week yep. it's just not yep. as good of an atmosphere. Yep. So I'm glad she liked it still. Well, the weather was great. And the team and, performed know. poorly, though. Well, but the thing, we're not gopher fans, really. We weren't going to root. I mean, we were rooting for them, but once, like, by by the second half, I was rooting for Bowling Green. Yeah. You know, I was like, I want to see this happen. You know, well, just because, like I said, I'm not invested in the Gophers. Yeah, but still, why do you want them to lose? Because Bowling Green deserved it. Okay. You know, like, I I was rooting for the underdog, you know, and it obviously meant a ton to them. They were, you know, celebrating like they just won the Super Bowl. Sure. One of the biggest wins they've ever had, and... You know, I, I don't dislike PJ Fleck. I know a lot of people do. They think his row the boat thing is tired, or it probably kind of is. But I don't have anything against PJ Fleck. But he coached the game so poorly yeah. that it was kind of like you deserve to lose this. I think he got what exposed. are you doing? I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's happened a few times now. I mean, first of all, he does the same thing Tim Brewster did and just gutted the program so they could go one in ten or whatever it was his first year. Tim Brewster did the same thing. Year zero. They, they were call mediocre it. Yeah. coming off of Glenn Mason, and Tim Brewster just guts it and go, "Oh, we have nobody. Oh, we have the youngest team in America." Yeah. And then the next year they go seven and six. Oh my God, the best turnaround right, in right, history. Right. And PJ Fleck did the exact same thing. And and look, and, and you know Jerry Kill, just like Glenn Mason, was a fairly mediocre, slightly you know punched above of his weight type of coach. Anyway, I'm not saying. There's not great things about P.J. Fleck. What a loss like this tells me is a couple is a few things. Don't uh, worry about him really going to USC. Without having really seen the game and get it, hearing your account of it, it is P.J. Fleck can sometimes be a lousy in-game coach. He recruits really well. They've mm-hmm. had the best talent they've ever had at Minnesota. That is on him, and that's his big thing. He, the power of P.J., branding and all that, that's work. They've gotten better mm-hmm. players, and you can't go 11-2 and two like they did, beat Penn State, Auburn a couple years ago, not of great talent. But it does seem like that is that, he was that's, so bad. That's so poor yeah. coaching. And what he does do is he's more of an offensive coach than not. I know he has a coordinator, but it's the stupid Mike ass for junior. Yeah, it's, um, it's this new age. I, not just going for it on fourth all the time, but at your own twenty. And, you're playing and, bowling fucking green. And, yeah, it's okay. not that big of a. If you're playing right. Ohio State, that's one okay, thing. Okay, then fine. Know. Then the RPO is a little is that this is a big fleck thing. The RPO shit's a little too obvious. They lost five yards on the play. Yeah, like it's one thing to not get it, but like, yeah. dude, that's how badly they saw that coming. You know, you went for it on fourth <laughs> and one, green. and Bowling Green pushed you five yards backwards. And, and the other thing is, and uh, this is this is hearing Gopher football discussion elsewhere. 
uh, that you know Tanner Morgan was an All Big Ten level second or third team quarterback two years shit. ago. The backup it's, came in and scored the one touchdown. That, that's yeah. what Gopher fans I'm hearing are saying. Like just bring in the new kid, that Axel, Anikstead, whatever. Well, or next year, Jacob Knuth. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, from Harrisburg. I wonder if he was there. Uh, any any observations? I, that. I do too. I'll have to ask Brandon White. Any observations about? Uh, by the way, while we're on it, Jacob Knuth threw a 72 yard touchdown pass with 56 seconds left in the game against Roosevelt. A play, one play after he was reaching on fourth and inches to get a first down and had the ball ripped away from him for a touchdown, and he came right back and threw a 72-yard bomb to win the game. So there's a player who puts up a lot of great stats and has a lot of tangibles that uh, showed, showed some leadership and some clutch play late. But I, one last thing about the Gopher game. Your, your, your thoughts about Gopher fans, just in general. I don't um, know when the last time you had been to a Gopher I've game I've been is. to a few Gophers games over the years, and this was the least engaged I've ever seen them. Okay. There was, uh, like, they just didn't, it was kind of like how you were describing the Vikings fans in this bar after they lost to the Cardinals, that everyone was just kind of like, oh, what do you expect? Like, there wasn't a lot of teeth gnashing and a lot of, what the hell is going on? Like ever, And we were sitting, like I said, we had good seats. We were right down on the field and seemed like we were sitting around a lot of people who are more than casual fans. You know, these are people that spend some money on Gophers football. Well, wasn't one of them wearing a Flex 69 jersey? <laughs> that No, that guy was uh, in line to get on the bus when we were leaving. I don't know where he was sitting. Okay. But, yeah, I'm sure he felt great about that. <laughs> Moron. Um, um, but, no, I, you know, and we were making idle conversation with some of the fans sitting around us who – Clearly knew a lot more about the, the team than we did, and they were just like, "Yeah, this is what." Like, they were not surprised by the shitty play calling. They were not surprised by a lot. Uh, Tanner Morgan's struggles, uh, their insistence on running the ball at all costs, and not really yeah. seeming to know how to throw it. Defense played well. Like I said, Bowling Green had like 180 yards of offense the whole game, and I think the Gophers had like six or seven sacks. I mean, they played more than well enough to win. But special teams was absolutely brutal. Uh, their punt returner refused to ref- to feel the punt the whole game. No matter where the punt was, he would just back off and let it bounce. And we're kind of like, dude, if you're too scared to catch it, then get someone else in there. So that's exactly what P.J. Fleck does. He pulls the guy, puts a new punt returner in. That guy tries to catch one he shouldn't have and fumbles it. And Bowling Green recovers. Wow. Yeah. This is why your uncle, Kim Nelson, very rarely has his teams return punts. I mean, it's it, well, at high school level, it's almost not even worth it. Yeah, yeah. they're going to fumble like it. So many things they're going to fumble wrong. it half the time. Yeah. yeah. No, but uh, this guy literally, like, A, it was clear he didn't have instructions from the coach. Yeah. B, like, the guy would kick it and he'd be, like, right at him. And he would just keep backing up and backing up and backing up and then wow. let it bounce. <laughs> so this guy for Bowling Green is averaging, like, 60 yards a punt when he's only hitting it 30 yards in the air. You know, because so finally <laughs> everyone's going, like, put someone else in. And they, they do. They pull wow. the guy. They're like, all right, fine. If you're not going to catch a goddamn ball. So they put another guy in. He instantly fumbles. I mean, it was just too perfect. Special teams, also the death, not the death, but the uh, – the curse and whatever the of Nebraska day, football. Yeah. So anyway, that Minnesota loss encourages me. So does the way Wisconsin got just thumped by yeah. Notre Dame, 41-13. Um, Nebraska can beat anybody in the Big Ten West. Probably. And it could beat almost anybody on their schedule. I'd put the uh, Michigan's coming to Lincoln. If that game were in Ann Arbor, forget about it. But Michigan's coming to Lincoln in a couple weeks. Michigan's better than it usually has been under Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> But I think but they're always a meltdown away from <laughs> right. whatever, uh, yeah. and that's gonna be that could potentially be prime time in Lincoln. Um, so the Brad, I'm in, you know as as down as I was on the Huskers after losing to Oklahoma, just because so many Husker fans were so encouraged. Oh wow! It's like no, Oklahoma's overrated, and the problem is Nebraska right now. Uh, they're gonna need to win three out of their final six games to I believe it's six, maybe it's seven, whatever, to go to a bowl game. And they can beat everybody but Ohio State on their schedule. Ohio State's looking a lot more beatable, too. Um, But besides, toss out Ohio State. uh, They can beat anybody on that schedule. They can also lose to anybody on that schedule because Nebraska has a defense that can – it's like the Broncos. They have a defense that can keep them in a game, but they have a quarterback who, although can make big plays – is going to screw it up in the passing game. He just he, he's just not good. He's been through a terrible interception in overtime, and uh, they have special teams that are uh, they're finding new ways to lose games. I know you you were probably too busy partying in downtown Minneapolis, but Nebraska played great against Michigan State for most of the night. They're up twenty to thirteen, but they don't have much they don't have much offense. They're not trying offense. They they're feeling like our defense is winning this game tonight. And it was. Michigan State had one first down in the entire second half. They had five rushing yards. They had like 20 total yards in the second half. And with about five minutes left, Nebraska's up seven. They're punting. 
and uh, the punter is told to punt to your right, and that's where all of his teammates went. Instead, he accidentally shanks it left, and no hang time, which means it got right to the returner, and it was like the most unblocked layup drill punt return for a touchdown <laughs> you'll ever see in your life, and that's only Nebraska football can pull that off. I hate, I hate Vikings fans and a lot of fans of a lot of teams, like Dolphins fans are like this, who think my team is cursed, it's always like this. What's what the Lions on Sunday? I mean, What's they that? might have a case. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, 66 yard ha, ha, field goal. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's, it, it's, that's, that's Nebraska football right now. And so it's like, yeah, it looks like things are actually headed in the right direction with Frost. The talent is better. The defense all of a sudden is better. His buddy that he brought over from UCF that everyone wanted fired that runs the defense, they're good. Uh, but uh, they have no offensive line, and they have no special teams, and um, it's it's costing Scott Frost wins. It'll be interesting to see if it costs Scott Frost his job, and I expect Nebraska to play a lot of these games down the stretch. A lot of 20-20 to 20 games could go either way, but these days it's it comes down to a Nebraska special teams blunder or Adrian Martinez blunder and uh, or offensive line breaking down in front of Adrian Martinez, and that's it for Husker football right now. I can't make any big declarations either way. They're worth watching, though. Gilbert and I are going down to Lincoln for our annual trip. See how it goes against a bad Northwestern team on Saturday night. And then uh, next week you're going, uh, the following week you're going to Minneapolis to watch the Gopher game, right? Two weeks after that, oh, yeah. yeah. After and uh, Michigan comes to Lincoln in between those two right. games. Um, then the Gophers must be on the road for two weeks because they said that was their next home game. There you go. Uh, yeah. They're yeah, they're at Purdue, so which uh, doesn't look so doesn't look as much of a slam dunk anymore. No. By the way, that that uh, Michigan game for Nebraska October 9th, Those of you listening, Beer Fest at the Birdcage. Sioux Falls Canaries hosting Beer Fest. Almost 20 local and regional vendors will be there. A lot of samplings of all kinds of different beers from all over the place. Uh, get your tickets now. SFCanaries.com. People in this town love their beer. I was at the Oktoberfest on Saturday afternoon over at Remedy, and uh, it was quite the crowd. It was quite the crowd. It was fun. Toward the end of it, when everybody was kind of good and drunk and had sampled all their beers, a couple guys did a beer stein holding contest, and uh, it was almost like an arm wrestling match, mm-hmm. but instead you're holding beer steins, and about 100 people there. A little, they made a little ring for it. It was cool. Uh, Canaries Beer Fest. Get ready for it, October 9th, 1 to 4 p.m. We're going to have college football on that giant scoreboard in the outfield. It'll be fun. All right, speaking of teams with uh, questionable offensive lines, questionable quarterback play when they need it the most, and a team who um, had a, a potential great road win at night slip away from them, the USD Coyotes. Now, they lose to Missouri State, who's now a top 20-ranked team under mm-hmm. Bobby Petrino, so they're legit. So that would have been a legit win. And let's just start with what Coyote fans are talking about and the forward progress call. On I don't know anything about this. Okay, so uh, Missouri State. I saw they had a 14 nothing lead and lost. Uh, yeah, Missouri State's driving, and uh, there's just there, there's a point in the game where there was uh, where it appeared Missouri State fumbled the ball. This was where they, this was in Missouri State's own territory. Coyotes are down by eight points. Uh, Camp has already thrown an interception in this quarter, uh, and, and Missouri State's already outscoring USD 17-0 in the second half. So the Yotes are up by 9 at half. They get outscored 17-0 in the second half. Five or six minutes left in the game. It appeared the Yotes forced a fumble. Not appeared, they did. It was a fumble. And not only was the guy not called down, but he, it was called forward progress. And it and they went back and showed the replay on this Sounds over like and over again. To justify their own bad call, and it was one of the worst calls you'll ever see. And everybody who's in the Coyote media or a Coyote fan, uh, you know, tweeted the still pictures of it or videos of it, and it was a terrible call. So they got hosed because that meant the Missouri State got to keep the ball, and eventually USD. I think they threw an interception a couple plays later, but it was way down the field. So the Yotes lost forty yards out mm-hmm, of it, and. Mm-hmm. Then they drove back down, took a bunch of time off the clock, and same thing that Adrian Martinez did for Nebraska in overtime. Camp throws a pick toward the end of the game, trying to drive him back. Um, so, yes, Yotes fans, you were screwed. Would you have won the game? It did not appear so. Right. Uh, you've had a, you would have had to score and go for two, which you, which you couldn't do because of Camp's pick. Also, uh, as I said, you hadn't scored at all in the second half. They had scored 17. Camp through two fourth-quarter interceptions. I know you've watched a little count football this year. They're good. But it's kind of, to me, it kind of feels like in, in a great Missouri Valley, it kind of feels like Nebraska in a very mediocre or bad Big Ten West. They're good enough to beat most teams except for maybe SDSU and NDSU in the Valley, but they've got some things that are holding them back from 
pushing them over the top. It's just so hard to tell because of who they've played, you know? They almost beat Kansas. What does that mean? You know, Kansas is in the Big 12, but they're also Kansas, you know? Even if they had won that game, how big of a win is it? Yeah. You right. know, then they kill Northern Arizona, and you're like, well, okay, Northern Arizona probably sucks, but they turn around and beat Arizona. And again, you don't want to get too hot up, caught up in comparing scores, but that, that seems to tell you something. Yeah. That they beat the shit out of Cal Poly, and it's like, okay, you know, a road win's a road win, and that was a good one. So then you're like, okay, Missouri State, we're going to have a better feel, especially because it's a, 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 a conference game. So this is an opponent that you know them, they know you. You know, this is going to be a better litmus test, so to speak. And so I think the fact that they had a lead, were in position to win that game, and given that Missouri State is a top-20 team and it was on the road, yep. that's encouraging for USD. Yeah. But the bottom line is they didn't win it. And whether you want to chalk it up to bad calls or you don't, whatever, I mean, they're sitting here at 2-2 two and two right now. And, you know, it's probably going to take a minimum of seven wins to make the playoffs. That means they have to win five more games. And they got to play SDSU and Northern Iowa and Illinois State and North Dakota State and North Dakota. It's really hard to look at their schedule and and find five wins in there. If they had beat Kansas, if they had beat Missouri State, they'd be sitting here at 4-0. And you'd be going, okay, you know, they need three more wins to get in the playoffs. Maybe four is doable. They're looking at, you know, maybe an eight-win season, maybe a nine-win season if things break right, getting into the, you know, real thick of that whole playoff hunt. So I think it's more about, you know, we can sit here and speculate, well, how good are they or what's the problem or should they win this or should they? Bottom line is they're two and two. Yeah. And now that's going to make them make it a lot harder for them to accomplish their goals. Yeah, and uh, continue to kind of move forward as a program because we see the potential in Bob Nielsen. They look and feel better than they were under Joe Glenn, and they've gotten better. I think there's a lot of nervousness around Carson Camp. Yeah, Um, well, there should be. I think Um, so, too. He played well as a true freshman in the spring, but it was a small sample size. We don't know, you know, just how many teams – I mean, how good the competition was that he was facing. I know a nice win against Illinois State, but that was the only game they won. Um, you know, now teams know a little bit more about him. They're more prepared for him. Um, I think at times he's looked really good. I, yeah. I, I'm not suggesting like that he uh, shouldn't be their starter or, or, you know, that they're wrong for investing in this guy. But uh, I think you could make an argument that maybe he's regressed a little bit or at least not shown the progress that they were hoping to see. And they've got this other quarterback, this Jonathan Lewis, the transfer from Rutgers, uh, who they've kind of been using as almost like a, a wildcat sort of guy. But, I mean, he was the starting quarterback at Rutgers at one point, you know. Hmm. So you kind of got to wonder at one point if they don't start thinking about giving him a look or giving him some more reps or something. Because, I mean, I, I, again, I'm not trying to, to, to shit on Carson Camp. I think he's good, and I think he showed a lot of promise. But he's got to be better if they're going to accomplish their goals. And it's kind of like the Vikings. The line that never does Kirk Cousins any favors or and sometimes has a problem making holes for the I mean, running I mean, game. They've they can't, been they running can't. the ball okay. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, they apparently weren't on game. Saturday in the second half. But, um, but yeah, uh, according to Coyote Eric, Coyote fan Eric, the strength staff or coaching staff has got to figure out short yardage. All starting offensive line has been linemen have been in the program at least three years figure it out margins are so thin in this league that one or two mistakes will kill you so that's the geotes uh we got about 10 minutes left do you do you want is there anything much to say about the jacks or um they're obviously that was, that was an impressive win i okay. mean indiana state is not terrible yeah so to beat them 44 to nothing your first game without isaiah davis coming off the bye sounded like chris oladokun didn't play great i mean he still played well it would sure look like uh but it sounded like the defense was absolutely unstoppable well, they or were. whatever you know dominant. I actually watched some of this they were yeah and that's a good defense but that's to, to pitch a shutout on the road against you know they played at Northwestern and lost 24 to 6 yeah you know for the Jacks to beat them in Terre Haute that's impressive yeah, and they put them to bed early as well. I mean, I say this, this is what great teams do. It's not like you can't win championships and have a, a couple of slips on the banana peel or lay a couple of eggs, but I mean, truly great teams, elite teams that win championships can go and beat a, a team you should beat, and as you mentioned, not a terrible team, but a team you should beat, and they just suffocate. It wasn't like, and it wasn't like they let Indiana State hang around. Yeah. I mean, this was like Shut seventeen or twenty-four nothing after one quarter, and they could not do a damn thing. I think it was thirty-eight a half. Yeah, yeah so thirty-one something. There's yeah. that, and they have Dixie State, and there's not much to say about that. So sorry, Jacks fans. We'll we'll, we'll get back to SDSU when they mm-hmm. start playing people. Uh, but uh, okay, let's maybe let's spend the last ten minutes on your big feature in the Argus on Sunday about Augustana. Uh, been very mum in the athletic department about their future. I mean, they've acknowledged that they are going to field a Division One hockey team by when? 2025 or so? I think it's 24. I'm okay. Not, I'm not even they're, I'm not they're sure. Kind of, they're kind of doing what St. Cloud State did before they dropped football, interestingly. 
uh, and Mankato does. I mean, this is uh, right. Division One hockey, Division Two everything else. But before we get into the whole hockey thing, wh- wh- so wh- does this mean their bid to join either the Summit League, which a lot of people, including me, thought was, why wouldn't that happen? And mm-hmm. also, uh, even the Big Sky, which was a lot of people are conjecturing. Um, oh, the whack or was the getting whack. thrown out. Yeah, yeah because they couldn't do the uh, There were summit. obviously some talks going on with the whack. Okay. That, there was a lot of smoke there, so where, I think there was some fire. But where do you ultimately, feel like, they probably realized, yeah, no way that can work. Where do you feel like they're at as as going after Division One in, in other sports, especially they are, the Summit League? We'll see what they say publicly, officially, when they have their groundbreaking in two weeks. But everything I've been told is that they have officially told their coaches, stop telling people we're going Division One because for the moment, we're not. That is, that is essentially being put on hold, a pause on that. I was told um, that the official company line, for lack of a better phrase, is until 2026. Um, without getting any confirmation from Augustana, I talked to Erin Lind, the commissioner of the NSIC, and she told me that Stephanie Herseth and Josh Morton, the athletic director, had committed to the NSIC for, quote, the foreseeable future. Which sounds like, you know, at minimum 2026, you know, perhaps further than that. Um, I think, we'll find out, but I think the D1 hockey thing didn't really become serious until after it was apparent the Summit League wasn't going to happen. If the Summit League had got them in, I don't think they would have been like, oh, let's start a hockey team. But once that didn't happen, they're kind of like, all right, now we're stuck, but we want to be Division One. We want to have that Division One presence, you know, is kind of the, the word I keep hearing. So I know, let's start a hockey team. And it makes sense for a lot of reasons. Scott Owens, the former Stampede coach who spent 20 years coaching Colorado College. So he obviously Which is knows one of the best programs in the country. Yeah, he obviously knows college hockey. You know, he, he was all for it. And I think if, he's, if he thinks it's a good move, I, I think that's a good sign if you're Augustana. Um, if he'd have been like, oh, this seems like a bad idea, then I'd be a little nervous. Um, so I think it can work. They'll be the only school in the state that's doing it. But I think the big question now becomes both for Augustana and everyone else in this region who – who is interested, even including South Dakota State, USD, NDSU, all these people, like, the question becomes, okay, are they still going to pursue D1 with everything else down the road, try to get into the Summit League, or are they going to, as you suggested, take the St. Cloud State, Mankato State route and just say, oh, we'll be a D1 hockey program and D2 and everything else? I think that's very much a possibility. I think it's, it's possible that they will say, if ho- especially if hockey goes well, you know, we buried the lead here, sort of. They are building a new arena. We didn't know that for sure, uh, but they are building an on-campus arena. They're not going to play in the Premier Center or anything. So if they have this cool new arena, and if it goes well, attendance is good, the, the program is making them money, they get into the CCHA and it works, I can see them going, do we really need to force ourselves to go D1 and everything else? Do we need to take our football program to the Pioneer League and go non-scholarship, all these other things? Let's just do what Mankato does and be really good at Division Two football and basketball and baseball. and Because Mankato's awesome at everything in Division Two. Yeah, and you've got an identity. And, and, it's a, and, and you don't hear anyone in Mankato saying, when are we going D1? They're D1 in hockey. Yeah. They're great in the NSIC and everything else. Augie might decide so you, ultimately, okay, that's what so, we're going to so, do. So you think that's enough because the three major players in all this for the last few years to get Augie in the Summit League, because they want to be a part of that party. They want to be a part of that Sanford That's the kicker, the Summit League tournament. The they Summit still, League. That, yeah. they, and it's irresistible, and it seemed like too good of a fit. Of course they're going to be in this league. Of course they are. So what the en- enrollment, whatever. They're in a, they're in a, they're in a major well, city, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and they, you know, they got the, they're already playing in a Division One feeling arena. In the Pentagon for basketball. I mean, it, you know, so me, so, but Kelby Krabenoff is gone, but the uh-huh. other two players are her, Seth Sandlin, and she did not hire Josh Morton to come in and, and make them continue to be a Division II sports program or not try to go to the Summit League. Right. Uh, he had been a part of that transition. But Josh sports at has been at North Dakota and Michigan State, two yeah. programs that That's have hockey. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, he, you know, he has, he understands the hockey piece of it. So, they, it, fe- it feels look, like a pivot, but well, it does, a good but what pivot. I'm, what I'm saying is, that, and I can speak from experience here being a St. Cloud State alum, it's almost like having two different athletic departments uh, because you got your D1 hockey. And in St. Cloud, at least, that's all anyone cares about. Um, I, I have, despite being an alum, always kind of had a little bit of a, a bitterness, for lack of a better word, towards the St. Cloud State hockey program because I always felt like you don't care about the other sports because you're so hung up on this goddamn hockey team, especially since the hockey team chokes every time they get into the playoffs. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Yeah. But, so I've never, I've never really got into SCSU hockey for that reason. You know, Then they dump football and 
Their basketball program has always been pretty good, and no one cares. Their baseball program is great, and no one cares. Their wrestling program is the best in Division Two, and nobody cares. Wow. You know, that, that's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, I wouldn't want to see that happen at Augie. You know, they have great programs there. I mean, obviously, men's basketball won a national championship. Uh, softball and baseball won national championships. I mean, softball and baseball programs are phenomenal. Yeah. We've all seen what Tim Huber's done. Now, I don't know if you've seen the construction going on softball out there. That new softball facility is going to be amazing. They deserve it. Yeah, I mean... Those programs all look, you know, by the time all that stuff is said and done, they're going to look like a Division One program. That's the deal. Is they're, they're, they're all ready to go Division One. Right. I mean, you know, I think Augie men's and women's hoops could be competitive in but Division One right away. you can say the same about Mankato, too. I mean, the Taylor yeah, Center, sure. they play basketball, and it's outstanding. That's not Division Two. Yeah, right. The, the yeah. football stadium sucks. but Yeah. Um, Interesting. So I, I think what it ultimately will come down to is what happens within the Summit League. I mean, Jack's fans and, and Bison fans like to say that the Summit League said, oh, fuck off, Augie, you guys suck. You're a small private school. That's not what happened. I think for the most part it was, yeah, we have 10, and we don't want to go to 11. You know, And the, you know, the pandemic hit right as they were applying. They're just like, not now, guys, okay? You yeah. know, we don't want to go to 11. The pandemic is going on. We got a lot more important things to worry about than you, Augustana. Well, and one thing was obvious for the commissioner, Tom Duple, and for every, everybody else in that league, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but uh, everybody thought every all those folks in that league, especially Tom Dupel, including me, I fell for it, and I didn't and I didn't necessarily 100% believe him when he you know just kind of poo pooed Augustana and they're gonna have to go through this process everyone else has to go through, uh-huh. and he gave me a little shit for poo pooing him and he he had his eyes on they had their eyes on St. Thomas the whole time. If uh-huh. it were for St. Thomas, maybe Augustana would be that 10th team. I think they would. And you I thought because it, it makes sense is you're, but I mean, but when you're, you're you got a school in Minneapolis and that's that been that powerful of a juggernaut in athletics. Well, we'll see what Saint Tom, how Saint Thomas works out. I think they're going to be good competitively. They got more money than God. Yeah, and it's a great program. Um, but the Twin Cities okay. media isn't going to pay any attention. Right. It's not like the Summit League is some, suddenly going to have this big presence in the Twin Cities. They're not. I got two quick short questions to finish this on. One is, do you think a lack of Kelby Kravinov has, has helped dial back? perhaps pursuit of the Summit League and Division One in all sports? Perhaps, to some degree. Okay. Um, but the, the big question that I didn't get to, um, what happens if the Summit League loses another member? Which they probably will. There's yeah. never. What's the longest the Summit League has ever gone? <laughs> like three years? Yeah, exactly, yeah. without someone leaving. So yeah. whether it's Denver or St. I mean, a lot of people are thinking that St. Thomas is using the Summit League as a temporary springboard sure. to the Big East or something like that. Yeah. You know? And it wouldn't surprise me. No, me neither. Well, when that happens, not that different of a school from Creighton. You know, may, maybe someone else will be in the mix. Uh, Northern Colorado's been kicked around. You know, there've been some other schools, but I think what Augie's basically doing is saying, "All right, we got egg on our face with this whole Summit League thing. Let's go D1 hockey. Let's get that off the ground, and just wait on the Summit League. And if they fall back down to nine because someone leaves, whether it's you know Denver joins the WAC, St. Thomas goes to the Big East, Western Illinois drops sports or goes D2 yeah. or something, you know." Then if the Summit League might go, okay, we're down to nine. Now we'll take you. Yeah. Because the Augustana still is a good fit. Yes. Geographically, facilities, you know, competitively, it's a good fit. So I yeah. still think it could happen. But definitely right now, hockey is the priority. And if hockey is super successful, it'll be interesting to see what happens. All those arguments. I, I never bought the arguments. And we're not really here for that discussion of the what what's hold, holds back Augustana. Too small of an enrollment. It, It'd be, it's an astronomically small enrollment, even compared to Summit League teams. It would not have stopped them from being a successful well, what different, division. They're, they're smaller than all the NSIC schools, too. It, yeah, I mean, what difference does it make? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. You get the, their you get the basketball just, attendance is higher than most of the Summit League teams. Their you got football the attendance. Yeah, I mean, you have the boosters. You can get the fans. But here's the last one we ended on: is the fans? Is the, you know an important question is brought up? Uh, you know. Craig Mack and I would always argue if this is a hockey town, and he would always say yes because look at the attendance at Stampede games. And I like the Stampede. I have a lot of respect for everybody that works there. And I do not discount how, how growing of a hockey community uh-huh. we have here at all levels, the junior levels especially, and that's connected to the Stampede. That's the big show. Uh, they were you know, they were having a hard time getting 2,000 at the arena before they moved to the Denny, and mil- mil- moving into that Ivory Palace helped them get new fans, and they stayed. And they, they, The team does a great job of selling the team, selling mm-hmm. tickets, mm-hmm. marketing the mm-hmm. team, uh, game day, uh, game experience. It's all phenomenal. It's something folks like me with the Canaries aspire to uh, when it comes to sales and marketing. Um, does that mean Sioux Falls is a hockey town? Uh, I, I don't mean, know. When I write a story but, about the Stampede, 
like ten people click okay. on I mean, it. So this is there the is, people, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think it's a fun night out in the winter. Right, it's almost like going to a movie. To you know, it's yeah. uh, you know, it's harder for the Canary because the Canaries get compared to them as well. Well, the Stampede have thirty games and they're all on Friday and Saturday nights. Right. The Canaries will have fifty or sixty games. Half we do it every night of the week. Of course, we're only going to have five hundred fans at some of our games, but. Um, well, I'll end it on this. Is Sioux Falls a big enough hockey town or big enough sports, big enough event town to support uh, the Stampede, who get who do average average 5,000 or so fans a game, and Augie, who's building a three or 4,000-seat new right. arena? Well, Jim Olander and Scott Owens both said they think so, and I don't get the sense that they were pulling my leg or blowing smoke. I mean, I, I don't think they're 100% confident. They're obviously yeah. hoping that that's the case, especially Jimmy. Um, but I, I think there's a good case to be made. It's it's two different kinds of hockey. It's two different levels. It's potentially two different fan bases. Although I think it would be largely the same kind of fans. I don't know. I think yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, it, I I think you have to be more of a diehard to want to go to Augie games than Stampede games because obviously Augie will be pitching it more as like, hey, we're playing for championships. This is a sports thing. Whereas, like you said, the Stampede are much more of a sort of like, hey, family entertainment yeah. sort of thing. And and I'm not judging either one. But like I said, you know. As a sports writer, I occasionally write sports stories about the Stampede, and there is no audience for them. There, People also, do not want to right. read about that. There's know? also there's also perception versus reality. The perception is that the Stampede that's minor league sports. It's you know it's 16 to 18 year olds. It's not quite. I wouldn't call it high school hockey, but like Division One hockey is a higher level of <laughs> these, right. these kids who play for the Stampede go and play for Mankato or a and team then like go Augustana. To the NHL, yeah. Um, and so, but my answer is look, Omaha is a much bigger city than Sioux Falls. But this was a question in Omaha 25 years ago when UNO hockey came to life. Uh-huh. Omaha hockey, they're like, what are they doing? They got the Lancers and the Lancers were getting. They're a great mm-hmm. draw, mm-hmm. four or mm-hmm. five thousand mm-hmm. a game. And the answer was the second UNO got to town, that became the big hockey draw because it was the new thing. Mm-hmm. And they played in the old arena. They played in Dumpy Old Center right. Auditorium, which is a lot like Sioux Falls Arena, for five years before they got right. a new arena. Well, and, and I, uh, I would and assume Omaha could support. And I would assume Omaha at some point, both. at some point, I would assume, and I could be wrong. I don't know a lot about college hockey, but you could probably get a UND or a Minnesota to come in there for a non-conference sure. game at some point. Then I could play all their games at home. You know, you're at the same level, so it's not the same as like asking Minnesota to come to Dana Dykehouse Stadium for football. You know, yeah. like, there's only 60 Division One teams in the entire country. Yeah. You know, so I would think Augustana would have an opportunity to bring some yeah. pretty big-name opponents in there, and you would think that would be a draw. And by the way, a good move to have their own arena instead of uh, instead of doing what their basketball team does and renting out a, a premier facility? I think so, and funny you mention that. I think they should play basketball there, too. I don't know if they can. I've no, We'll have to yeah. see what the you know logistics Blue are Prince. and what their plan is and everything, but... Quit playing basketball off campus. Yeah. You know, the Elman Center is a high school gym, and that's why they don't like that. Tom Billiter doesn't like it, yeah. you know, because it's it's he doesn't feel like it's a good sell in recruiting. Yeah. But man, when the Elman Center was full, absolutely for Northern State games yes. or USF games or Southwest State, like that was fun. And I have never been to an Augie game in the Pentagon that had that kind of atmosphere. It'd be ever. interesting if it ever will, because it's about the same size. Uh, it's 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 it's, it's, it's yeah. the capacity isn't much more than the Elman Center, and it's not much more than what the. Uh, but the atmosphere the has arena. never been the same. It's interesting. So every, the, would make my that. fondest memories of covering Augustana sure. basketball all take place in the Elman Center. All right. Yeah. Well, they got the lead gift for it, so they can afford it. So they're going to build it, and uh, good for them. It'll be fun. Uh, Zim, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck <laughs> <Hockey. laughs> you. Guys need a round of drinks? Uh, yes. Yeah.